0: Good morning. Today is Friday, February 11th, 2022. The order of the Torah portions in the second half of Shemos, the book of the Torah, Exodus, the second book of the Torah, the order of these portions is very problematic. There are four portions that deal with the Mishkan, the sanctuary that God commanded the Jewish people to build, traveled with them through the desert, and then into Israel, eventually became the first Beit Migdash, the first temple in Jerusalem. Four portions. Last week, Truma, this Shabbos Tetzaveh, then will come Vayakel, and then Pekudeh, which is the last portion, the ending of the book of Shmos, the second book of the Torah, the book of Exodus. Now those four portions, all on the same subject, the building of the Mishkan, should form one continuous, contiguous unit. But they don't. They are interrupted in the middle by next week's portion, Kisisa. So what we have is two portions about the Mishkan, last week and this week, Truma Tetzaveh, an interruption next week of Kisisa, and then we come back to the Mishkan with Vayakel, And then Pekude. So the first question is, why should this, what would appear to be a contiguous unit, be broken up with an interruption in the middle? And making it even stronger, making the question even more difficult, is the fact that all four of these portions about the Mishkan are a direct response to the central narrative of Kisisa in next week's portion, which is, which contains the Ekel Hazav, the golden calf. So the logical order would seem to be Yisro, that's the portion where God reveals himself to the Jewish people and speaks the Ten Commandments. Mishpatim, the immediate aftermath of going into depth about the judicial system. Then should come Kisisa. That's 40 days after Yisro, when the golden calf was made. Then should come Truma, Tetzaveh, Vayakel, Pekudeh, because all of that began on the day that we now call Yom Kippur. So the chronological order should be Revelation at Sinai, Sin of the golden calf, and the response to that after the forgiveness, the building of the mishkan. There are several answers to this problem. I want to share with you now the approach of Rabbi Dr. Abraham Torsky a blessed memory. He says that the curious order of these portions is in order to place the building of the Mishkan, last week's portion, Truma, and this week's portion, Titzave, immediately after and adjacent to the portion of Mishpatim, which deals primarily with the judicial system, law. Let's remember, the project of building the Mishkan which we started in last week's total portion, begins with the following words, where God says to Moshe, Daber El Bnei Yisrael, speak to the children of Israel, v'yichuli truma, and take a gift, an offering, a donation, of the gold and the silver and the copper and the, all the different elements that were needed. So God says to Moshe, collect all of this stuff, ask people for donations. But Dr. Torsky explains that that verse of God asking for donations must occur immediately after the portion of Mishpatim, the judicial system. Because the Torah means to convey to us that gifts for the building of the Mishkan are acceptable if and only if they were acquired honestly by observing all of the laws of the portion of Mishpatim concerning telling the truth, not lying, not stealing, etc., etc. And this message is so important for the Torah to convey because, and we see it in our day all the time, and it's nothing new, unfortunately, There are some misguided people who think that it is permitted to indulge in unscrupulous business practices and then cleanse themselves by making contributions to charitable causes. The Torah, by this juxtaposition, rejects that. In fact, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, the greatest halakhic authority of the previous generation, once wrote as follows, that a person who does something dishonest and then uses that to make a donation to a worthy cause, that makes the dishonesty worse than if he just kept it and spent it on himself. Because... If a person is dishonest in their business practices, in taxes, in whatever it is, they have violated the laws of stealing, of lying, etc. But when you then turn around and donate that to some worthy cause, you also violate an additional prohibition of chil Hashem, of desecrating God's name, of giving the impression that somehow God would accept pe- to be served like that. And God rejects that. That's the reason that the portion of Truman is taken out of its natural thematic order and placed adjacent to Mishpatim with its laws of business practices. A number of years ago, this is a long time ago, this is a... Maybe 40 years ago, close to 40 years ago, you may remember this. There was a big scandal. That, mezuzos, the parchments, for a mezuzah, that came from Israel, many of them bore a stamp of approval that they were kosher parchments, kosher to to use as a mezuzah to put on the doorposts of our home, and in fact, it was a big scandal. Uh, those those approvals were forged. And in fact, many, many people, thousands of people all over the world, people buy mezuzos that were made in Israel. And there's a stamp of approval. And they assume, of course, it's fine. Thousands and thousands of people all over the world. Actually had invalid parchments on their doorposts. And it was a terrible scandal. When that happened in Muncie, New York, there was a group of rabbis that met to discuss this difficult situation, especially because then, as even more so now, there were many families living in Muncie, religious families, thank God, large families, homes with lots of doorways, and all of a sudden... A person needs to replace every mezuzah in their house. Okay, if it's one, if it's two, it could still be a, a, a financial difficulty. But what if it's 25 or 30? And of course, you realize the fake mezuzahs are a lot cheaper than the valid mezuzos, right? It's a lot cheaper to produce it if you're doing it fake. To produce it correctly means it's written by hand, it's inspected, And all of a sudden the homeowners are faced with what could be a gigantic financial obligation. So the rabbis in Muncie discussed various strategies of how to deal with this. And they also came up with this idea to set up a loan fund, an interest-free loan fund. If anyone has financial difficulty in being able to replace all of their mezuzahs at one time, because keep in mind, If you're living in a home, you have to replace them all right away. That's the mitzvah. So they set up this loan fund that if anyone could not afford to lay out all the money right away, they could borrow the money, interest free, and pay it back over a certain amount of time. The last rabbi to speak at this meeting was the elder statesman of the rabbis, not only in Muncie, but at that time in the world, Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky. And Rabbi Kamenetsky said, I agree with all of your proposals, but I have a suggestion concerning this interest-free loan fund that you are deciding to set up. Please make sure that you publicize when you offer these loans that a person should only borrow the money if they know that they'll be able to repay it according to the terms that they will agree to. Because it is better to not put a mezuzah on your house rather than to violate the Torah's requirement to pay back a loan on time. You know, we often distinguish between mitzvos bein adam l'chavero, a mitzvah, a commandment, that is between one person and another, and mitzvos bein adam l'makom, a mitzvah, a commandment between myself and God. Prayer is between myself and God. Observing Shabbos is between myself and God. Honest business practices, giving charity, is between myself and another person. Although we make this distinction, the truth is every mitzvah that relates to between myself and another person is also an obligation between myself and God. We cannot serve God. We cannot come closer to God through a lack of honesty towards others, through a lack of correct financial practices towards others. And further, when it does happen, and unfortunately it does, we must call it out. There's an amazing line in one of the famous medieval commentaries to the Talmud, Ritva, a Spanish scholar in the 14th century. And he wrote the following If a known Torah scholar should engage in some type of wrongdoing, it is necessary to publicize that wrongdoing. Because he writes, if we don't call it out, if we don't publicly criticize known wrongdoing on behalf of, let's say, a rabbi or a leader or someone else who is supposed to be a religious role model. People will say, These rabbis, they only want to protect each other. They're not so concerned with what God wants. They're only concerned with their own honor. So to criticize another rabbi, and it looks like bringing shame to those people who serve in this position? No, we have more worry about the honor of rabbis, our colleagues, than we do about God's honor. And the Ritva says that's wrong. Yes, it is painful to point out a misdeed of a well-known religious person. Yes, it is painful, but that is much more necessary to do than to hide it, than to remain quiet. The Chavitz Chayim, Rabbi Yisrael Meir Kagan of Radin, who is the great leader who taught us about the mitzvah, the requirement of lishon Hara, not to speak negatively about another person, just as important as what he taught us about what not to say, slander, gossip, just as important as that is what he taught us. We must say, for example, to say something negative about another person when there is some positive constructive reason for doing so. For example, Someone's applying for a job and you know that they have a history of misdeeds that relate to this job. To warn that person, that's called l'shon hara Litoelis. It is speaking negatively about another person for a constructive purpose. Yes, there are guidelines. There are seven different guidelines that apply. You have to be very careful how you do it, what you say, how you say it. All true. But here's the point, and, and the Chavetz Chaim makes this point. To point out the wrongdoing of a religious public figure is a constructive purpose. We must say that so that others don't think that such behavior is somehow excusable through, let's say, the noble motivation for doing it giving to tzedakah, I'm supporting a yeshiva, I'm supporting a synagogue. Isn't it worthwhile? The Chavetz Chaim says, no, it's not worthwhile. Not only must we not do it, we must call it out when a public figure engages in such behavior, because stealing is stealing. Lying is lying. Doing it for a worthy cause doesn't make it better it makes it worse. Only after we have learned and absorbed the laws of Mishpatim, the judicial system, can then we be asked to make a donation. My friends, I want to wish you a wonderful day and a beautiful Shabbos. And I look forward to seeing all of you soon in person.